Please turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. Uh, thanks for joining us here. It's, it's again just a, a joy to be in your home with you this morning talking about God's Word and looking at, at Judges chapters 13 through 16 as we look at the story of Samson. And we're going to look at that story this week and next week. And so hopefully this is an encouraging time for you as we, as we think about some of the things we learn from his life. Thanks for hanging in there. I know, especially those of you who are younger, this can be a little bit of a, of a difficult time to kind of sit on the couch or sit on the, the, the floor there and kind of pay attention to God's Word. And so I heard some, some encouraging things last week from some of you, so, so thanks for your faithfulness and, and just really encouraging about how you're learning about the Lord. So let's read together Judges chapter 13, reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and we're going to begin looking at the story of uh, Samson. It says, verse 1, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and, and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me. And his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome, I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what are we to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of the Lord of God came again to the woman and as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then, offering it, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. 
And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now, Manoah and his wife were watching. They fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtel. And Heavenly Father, we again uh, beseech you this morning. We, we thank you for the opportunity to, to come in this way at this time to, to listen to your word. And I pray that our hearts would be especially sensitive this morning. Father, we're going to talk about some things, as, as you know, that, that may uh, be very painful for, for people to contemplate as they think about their, their own lives, their own relationships with their parents or, or children or other family members. And so I, I just pray for your special grace this morning on, on people who are hurting as they think about their families, to think about sons and daughters and sisters, brothers, parents. I, I pray that your, your special hand would be upon them in, in a way that would comfort and, and encourage them this morning as they think about you and your purpose for the family. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Leo Tolstoy uh, famously began his novel Anna Karina with uh, Anna Karina uh, with uh, these words. He said, "All happy families are the same, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way." Obviously, that's the only sentence I've read from the novel Anna Karina, but uh, you've heard that statement before, that, that, that phrase maybe before, all happy families are the same, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. What, what does that mean? And Tolstoy is saying, look, if you see a happy family, there are going to be some things that are true of that family that, that every happy family has in terms of provision and, and relationships and, and things like that. All those things are going to be the same in every happy family, but there are, there are a myriad of ways to be unhappy. Now, in the book of Judges, we encounter some miserable families. Uh, throughout the, the book of Judges, the family structure is in, is in disarray, right? You see parents failing to disciple their children. You see parents at, at odds with one another. You see children rebelling against their parents. You see brothers killing brothers. You see uh, men not fulfilling their covenant vows to their wives. You see a father sacrificing his daughter. You see brother, brothers killing each other. You just see the family structure in absolute disarray. In fact, what I think the book of Judges, and, and all of this is taking place in, in a land without a king, as the writer of Judges reminds us. So what, what I think we're seeing in the book of Judges is that Tolstoy is, is somewhat wrong here. Yeah, there are uh, many different ways that an unhappy family might manifest that unhappiness, but all unhappy families have failed to acknowledge God as king. There's that common factor that all of these unhappy families have. 
and specifically in this text that we're looking at this morning and next week as well, we encounter a family and we encounter a son, Samson, a son whose parents desire for him to walk in obedience to the Lord, to live in covenant obedience to Yahweh, and yet Samson refuses to do so. As, as we'll talk about next week, he's impetuous. He is a person driven by, by passions. He is not a person concerned about walking in obedience to Yahweh. And his parents are deeply grieved and, and, and hurt by Samson. That experience of being grieved by a family member is not unique to the book of Judges. All of us can identify, either through personal experience or through the experience of others who we've loved, we, we know what it's like to be hurt by family. We know what it's like to be hurt as we see a, a child walking away from the Lord. We know what it's like to have parents who are are, are not walking with the Lord and have harmed us in their parenting. We know what it's like to have siblings who are not walking in obedience to the Lord and the, and the pain that that causes us. There are, are many happy thoughts that we can have when we think about our families, but there are also many times when we think about our, our family families, there are elements of sorrow and concern as we think about their present, as we think about their future, we think about them not walking in obedience to Yahweh King. All, all of us can understand that experience. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the story of Samson, and we're going to look, about, look, look at that story from the perspective of his parents. And there are, you know, there are many ways that we could attack this story. I'm going to place a special emphasis on the parents because I think that's especially what chapter 13 does. And then throughout the story of, of Samson, it's it begins with his parents and it ends with his father. So I, I think there's this, this family dynamic that's going on in his story that I want us to think about. So I'm, I'm going to talk about the principles that I'm going to lay out from the perspective of a parent, not only because that's how the story deals with it, because, but because all of us can understand the perspective of a parent. We, we may not be parents ourselves, but we've all had parents. Some we've known well, some of us have not known our parents well, some of us have positive feelings about our parents, some have negative all of us understand, though, that that parent-child relationship, all of us have, have experienced in some degree, even if it's the lack of what it looks like to have a parent. Now, um, for those of you who say, you know what, I'm not a parent, um, I wonder what Matt Chandler is doing in his live stream this morning, stay with me, stay with me, don't, don't go away. What we're going to do is we're going to talk through these, these principles, and, and let me just give you some suggestions here. Maybe you are a parent, okay, and so you're a parent of, of young children. I think there'll be some, some things you can think through as you think about the future of your parenting. Maybe some of you are, are parents with older children. I think there'll be some very easy applications for you. Maybe you are a person without children. Maybe you're, you're young. This is your future, uh, maybe you are, are young in your relationship with your parents. There's some things for you to think about. Maybe you're older, you're grown, and there's some, some things in your relationship with family members that you can glean from this. Maybe you're older, you, have, you haven't had children, you say, this doesn't apply to me in terms of being a parent. But 
it can apply to you in, in, sen- in the sense of, of loving families, the families at our church, and thinking through maybe even some applications for other family members. So I, I think we're, we're, we're talking about these principles from the perspective of parents, because that's, that's what the chapter here, verse, chapter 13 does. That's what the rest of the text is going to do. But I think there are some ways that we can, we can come at these principles from other relational perspectives, and it can be helpful as well. So let's, let's look at the, 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 the main idea. The main idea that I want us to think about this morning as we look at the story of Samson is this. The family in the land where there's no king must continually entrust one another to our Heavenly Father. As we experience the reality of living in a land where not everyone acknowledges Christ as king, what, what we need to do as we think about how this affects our other family members is what we need to do is we need to continually entrust one another to our Heavenly Father. That, that's how we need to, to think about this. So let's, uh, let's look then, begin to look at these, these principles. These are principles for covenant parents, for those who are in a covenant relationship with God, who would recognize Christ as King. These are some principles for, for all of us as we can think about how to relate to the, the family unit, okay? So here's the first principle, number one. Principle number one. Parents believe children are gifts to a family, all right? So covenant parents, those who are in relationship with Yahweh God, they believe that children are gifts to a family by the Lord. And so look at the first seven verses, and, and what do we see? As you begin chapter 13, verse 1, it begins with the, the cycle, remember the cycle of sin, servitude, salvation, sin, servitude, salvation. We begin this for the sixth time, and as he begins in verse 1, the writer of the book of Judges tells us the people sin again, right? They do what's evil on the side of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And as he begins this cycle, this time he doesn't mention the, the people repenting. I told you last week that doesn't happen every time. This week it doesn't happen. Now, this is, this is a continuation of the story that began in chapter 10. Remember in chapter 10 it talks about the, the people's disobedience to God. And God says, I'm going to bring the Ammonites and the Philistines. We talked about the Ammonites last week. This week we turn to the Philistines. The Ammonites were on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The Philistines are on the western side of the Jordan River. And so, and, and uh Here's what else we read in verse 13, in chapter 13. Verse 2, it says, Now there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. So Manoah and his family are living there in Dan. Uh, they're on the border of the tribe of Dan and Judah, and that's Manoah. And Manoah's wife, her name is not mentioned, but Manoah's wife receives a visitor from the Lord, this angel of the Lord, perhaps God himself, God incarnate, or before Christ is incarnate, God appears here to Manoah's wife. And he tells her about this special child that is going to be born. He says, and uh, he kind of reminds her, look, here's your situation. You're barren. You're going to uh, you haven't had children, but you're going to have a children. And then he tells her that this child is to be handled in a special way. He's to be a Nazarite his entire life. Now, Numbers chapter 6, remember from uh, our study in the Pentateuch, we saw that there's this, this Nazarite vow that some are to take to, to dedicate themselves to the Lord for a certain period of time. And what the angel of the Lord is telling Manoah's wife is, look, this, 
dedication of your son to the Lord is a lifelong dedication. In fact, it begins before he's even born. You have a responsibility to to adhere to this Nazarite vow yourself in terms of what you eat and what you touch and what you're around. And so Manoah's wife listens and and believes the angel of the Lord. And the the angel of the Lord tells her as well that there's a, a special plan for this child, not just to be dedicated to the, to the Lord, but to be dedicated for a certain purpose. He says, he says in verse 5, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. There's obligations on Samson's mother while he's in the womb. After he's born, Samson's life has this unique redemptive purpose. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And by the way, as you read these verses, right, you can see some very clear parallels between this deliverer and the ultimate deliverer. All throughout the book of Judges, we're seeing shadows of Christ. We're seeing uh, people pointing us to Christ. Even in their insufficiencies, they point us to Christ, as we saw in Jephthah. Here, Samson, we see some clear pointing us to, to Christ. Samson is to have a redemptive focus. He's to begin to save his people from the Philistines. Now, in the book of Judges, the instructions that God has given his people in the Pentateuch are this this heavy background throughout the book. The, The instruction of the Pentateuch loom large in the background. And and, and what did the Pentateuch tell us about the purpose of children? Samson has a special redemptive focus for sure here in this text, but in the Pentateuch we see that the children are are to be part of God's redemptive plan for the nation. So it begins in the Exodus. In the Exodus, in the Exodus 13, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, he says, okay, you're going to do these things, and you're going to do these things, and you're going to tell your son on that day as you observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread that it's because of what the Lord did for me when I, I came out of Egypt. There's a, a redemptive purpose of the family. Later in chapter 19, verse 6, you're to be a, a kingdom of priests. When you come to Judges chapter 2, what's the failure? The failure is that the parents fail to tell the next generation, look, here are the things that God did, and here are his commands and his instructions, who he is and what he's done. The children of Israel had had a redemptive purpose, and Samson here in particular has has a redemptive purpose. He's to save Israel. Now, what about in our culture? What about in our culture? Even in a land like ours that doesn't recognize God as king, we and our children, those of us who are covenant parents, those of us who are in relationship with Yahweh God, we understand that there is redemptive purpose for families. At the beginning of the presentation of the gospel message in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, he says, the, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Acts chapter 16, uh, uh, Paul says to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved you and your household. In other words, this isn't just a a, a salvation for you only, but there's a salvation, there's an envisioning of a salvation that extends to the family. And they they spoke to the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and, and washed their wounds. He was baptized, 
at once, he and his family, and he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, the, the idea here is we see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, that children are a gift from God for, for, for his redemptive purposes. We have children, we have a family, so that the, the nations can know the world, that can know the Lord. Now, that's not to say that we can guarantee that our children are going to be saved. We can't guarantee that our children, if we're parents, are going to all place their faith in Jesus Christ. But it means, I believe, that we, that we parent, first of all, understanding the, the purpose of children and the family, and, and secondly, with an expectation for the Lord to work. Uh, Doug Van Meter, in his book, uh, Parenting is Not a Coin Toss, put it this way. He says, we're not to approach parenting saying, well, I guess let's do the best we can and hope for the best. No, he says, parenting children, we're parenting children with a confident view to their eventual salvation. That's to be our expectation. Believing parents should expect to raise believing children. In other words, as we approach parenting, we approach parenting and understand the purpose. We want these children to be redeemed. We want them to walk in obedience to the Lord, and we're going to, to, to parent with that expectation. So when we say that children are a gift of the Lord, what do we mean? Sometimes I think we misunderstand this. Stated negatively, what do we not mean? We don't mean that children are a gift from the Lord to, to fulfill our ego. Uh, children are not a, a gift from the Lord so that our, our dreams can finally be realized in them. Children are a gift from the Lord so that we have these, these little worshipers who can worship us. That's not what we mean by a gift from the Lord. Children are a gift to bring God's purposes to be ambassador to fruition. They're, they're, the purpose of the family is that we would be ambassadors of God's kingdom to a world that's rejecting her king. Children are not a gift in the sense that they bring us joy in ourselves. They're a gift. They bring us joy in God. Now, this helps us. This helps us as parents, right? This helps us as parents. It helps us as children not to be disappointed when people in our family don't act as though we are the ones to be worshipped. I, I have a family and my children don't make me the center of the universe. And I, I'm disappointed because I, I thought, hey, children are a gift from the Lord to, to worship me. No, 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 that's not what we mean. I can be disappointed if I think that the purpose of children is to, to glorify me. But I understand, look, the purpose of my children is to be uh, instruments of redemption to people who are lost. And, 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 and it's not about me at all in my parenting. It's about God and him being glorified. It takes a, a lot of disappointment off the table, right? And the same is true for children. Because I recognize the purpose of my parents' parenting is not to give me everything that I think I want in life. The purpose of my parents', parents parenting is to disciple me to know and love the Lord and to bring others to know and love the Lord as well. Parents should understand that. Number two, and we're not going to go through all these principles in the same amount of length of time for each of them. Number two, parents seek the Lord for wisdom in parenting, right? Chapter 13 continues. Manoah's wife tells him what's happened, and, and Manoah prays to the Lord, and he says, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and, and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. In other words, there's this, this recognition. We, we don't know what we're supposed to do here. The, the text 
Manoah and his wife recognize that God has plans for their, ch- their child, and they ask. God answers that prayer, and the, the messenger comes again and repeats the things that he said before. Now, what does this mean in our culture? In our culture, we also understand, look, I, I need to keep my parenting in line with the redemptive focus for my family. I, I need to, to visibly make sure that my, my child is, is understanding the things of the Lord. I want to continue to seek the Lord as a parent, as a child, as a brother, as a sister. And where, when there's failure to fulfill the purposes that God has for me in my parenting, the purposes that God has for me as a child, when I, when I fail to obey my parents, when I fail to be kind to my brother or my sister, that the purposes that God has for me within the context of a family, when I, when I fail, based on what God has told me to do in his word, what do I do? I need to repent. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to say, okay, this is what God said I was supposed to do as a parent. Here's what I have done. And when I see that that gap between those two things, what God has told me to do and what I've actually done, what do I need to do? I need to ask for repentance, ask for forgiveness. Maybe some of you are there with your family now and there's been some there's been some relational harm that's happened with one another, and, and you need to ask for forgiveness even, even this afternoon. I encourage you to do that later. Here's a third principle. Number three, parents revere and worship the Lord. Okay, those who are right relationship with God are going to revere and, and worship him in the context of, of being parents and worshipers. These are not omniscient parents. And as you look through the text and as, as we, that we read earlier, you notice that the parents don't initially understand who this messenger is. Manoah doesn't understand this is the, the angel of the Lord, and so he begins this, this dialogue. He says, okay, uh, I, I believe that what you're saying is going to come true. Um, let, me, let me let you stay here. Let me detain you. Let's, let's have a meal together. And the guy says, not going to happen. And he says, well, what, what's your name? So when there, this thing comes true, I can honor you. And he says, why do you ask my name? Because it's, it's, it's wonderful. It, it's 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 wonderful. In other words, that is the same word that's used in other parts of Scripture to describe the, the, the work of God that's beyond comprehension. Then the suggestion is made by this messenger, this angel of the Lord, to offer a burnt offering. Manoah does that, and the, the angel of the Lord is, 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 is there with the sacrifice, goes up, and, and Manoah realizes when there's no return of this man that he's seen God himself. And, and now Manoah is, is in awe and fear, and you, you see him fall, that you see him uh, just in, in, this, in this fear. He and his wife fall on their faces to the ground, and Manoah says to his wife in verse 22, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. And Manoah's wife rightly says, look, if he wanted to kill us, he would have by now. He's given us this revelation so we, we can do what he wants us to do with, with his child, essentially. Now in our culture, the culture in which we live, our culture without a king, the, the same is, is true that we are going to have, we're going to find ourselves in, in places where God's name is not honored, not worshipped. A culture that's abandoned itself to the worship of other, other gods, though, just as was true in Manoah and his wife's time, it's true today. God is a wonderful God who does things that are beyond our ability to, to comprehend. 
And if you and I, as, as parents, if you and I, as, as children, as brothers, as sisters, want to point others toward Christ, we need to be in awe of God. We need to be in, in constant awe of the God who works wonders. Now, now what does this mean? It means I'm not a complainer as a parent, for example. It means I'm not a grumbler. I'm not constantly upset about what the government is doing or about what my boss is doing or about what this person over here is doing or I'm not complaining about what another family member is doing. I'm not a person who's constantly upset at, at other people. I'm not a person who's, who's constantly consumed by, by worry, by anxiety, by being uh, overwhelmed by, by various things. It's in life, I'm not a person who is, who is angry. I'm not exhibiting all these fruits of the flesh. What am I? I'm a person who, by and large, of course, not perfectly, but by and large, I'm a person who is consumed with contemplating the wonder of God. Manoah and his wife here fall down as they, as they come to realize who God is. And hopefully what's happening in our lives, just for example, as parents, is we're becoming more and more aware of the awesomeness of God and, and the worries of life. Yeah, they exist, and we're going to struggle with that, of course. But overall, we're saying, okay, I, I understand that God is a wondrous God who does wonders, and I, I'm going to be in awe of who he is and what he's done in my life and what he continues to do. Those are going to be the things that, that consume me and overwhelm me. And my, my children— if I'm a parent, my, my children, as they see that in my life, are going to say, even if they disagree with, with me in terms of who God is, they're going to say, yeah, I, I believe that dad believes that. It, it affects his life. He is a, 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 a parent who worships the Lord. And that's going to be redemptive in our children's lives. For children who have parents who aren't walking with the Lord, they're going to see that in our lives and say, okay, our parents may say, look, I disagree with their life, I disagree with some of their choices, and yet I believe that they believe in the Lord. I believe that they are worshiping the God they believe in. Here's a fourth principle that I think is important for us to be encouraged by. Number four, parents cannot force their children to love the Lord. Now, we go into chapter 14, and I'm going to go into a little bit of the, the, the rest of the story of Samson. And we're going to go more in depth into his life next week, but, but, it, but it takes a very tragic turn. Chapter 14, Samson, it says, finds one of the daughters of the Philistine. He goes to his father and his mother and he says, look, I, I want to marry this, this woman. Get her for me. And his father and his mother rightly say, no, 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 look, isn't there a woman among the daughters of your relatives, among our people? Why would you want to go and, and, and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson says to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His parents push back, but, but Samson is clear, look, I want what I want, get her for me. She's right in, in my eyes. This is what I desire. Now, as, as I look at this text and the story of Samson and his parents, I can't find anything in the text to support the idea that, that these weren't good parents. It seems like his, his mother fulfills God's obligations on her. They have this desire to have him walk in obedience to the Lord. 
I find no evidence that parents, that's, these parents of Samson made any significant mistakes while parenting him. I mean, you can't say it's, it's their fault that this happens in the sense that this caused this. There's every indication they'd obeyed God's instructions and how to parent him, and, and, yet, and yet his heart turns away from the Lord. We have to recognize, as, as members of a family, as hard as this is, is that God's salvation is by grace and not works. And not only is our salvation by grace and not works, the salvation of those in our family is by God's grace and not by our works. When I look at this story, you can sense Samson's parents' frustrations. What, 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 what can we do? How can we change this outcome? And, and sometimes, sometimes we as parents have to simply step back and say, there's, there's nothing I can do here to, to force my children's hearts to change. In fact, in fact a couple points of application here. One, one when, when children are disobedient, again, this is from the perspective of a parent, but you can apply it in other ways as well. When children are disobedient, we have to resist the urge to, to coerce obedience from the heart. Especially as our children get older, we have to re- resist that urge to say, you know what, I, if I just do this, if I just do that, I, I can force them to change, I can force them to turn. We have to recognize in God's sovereignty, I cannot coerce heart change. And so a second application here is when appropriate, When appropriate, I I need to allow my children to feel the pain of walking away from the Lord while at the same time protecting them from from the worst consequences they can encounter. You know, it's this balancing act. Sometimes I need to to restrain them so they can't do the worst things that they would do, and yet at the same time, I need to sometimes step back and allow them to experience the consequences of, of walking away from the Lord. So, for example, let's say that a, a child is rebellious at an early age in school. They come home and they say, I, I'm, I'm not going to do my homework. Not, you can't make me. You can't force me. I hate my teacher. All those sorts. As a parent, as a parent, uh, I'm not going to allow them to not do their homework, right? I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to protect you from your worst impulses here. And yet at the same time, you're going to begin to experience some, some consequences of not being obedient here. But as a child gets older, make some decisions about how much time they're going to spend studying, how much time they're going to spend with their friends, what sort of media they're going to consume. More and more, I, I step back and say, look, this isn't wise, but you're, you're, you're an older, older uh, child here. You're, you're more, less and less underneath my authority. I'm going to allow you to experience some of the, the consequences of not walking with the Lord, but I, I'm going to try to prevent the, the worst consequences from occurring as God allows me to do so, recognizing that the time for me to even restrain them from that may sometimes be passed. And then finally, as I think about an application here, I'm going to use the means of grace that God has given me through the power of the Spirit to change them. So I'm I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to talk about spiritual things with them. I'm going to be spending time reading God's Word together, allowing God's Word to work. I'm going to be using those means of grace that God has given me, praying that God does His work. And the same is true, but from a different perspective, if, if I'm a child or if I'm a sibling. A fifth characteristic here, or fifth principle, number five, parents cannot escape 
harm and heartache when their children choose to disobey the Lord. Now, Samson's father goes down to fulfill what Samson has asked him to do. And there's this, this uh, we'll go into the story more next week, this, this, this wedding that's, that's set up that's never actually occurs. Uh, and, and at one point in the story, as Samson is, is traveling, he encounters a lion, he kills the lion. As he travels past it sometimes, sometime later, he returns to the carcass of the lion, and it says, Behold, there was a swarm of bees in it and, and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. Now, what he had done was he defiled himself. A Nazarite had no business touching a dead carcass of a lion, much less eating it from it. It was forbidden. And then what does he do? It says he gave some to his parents, and they ate. And, and now, unknowingly, they've been implicated in his sin against the Lord as well. You can't isolate yourself You, you can't isolate yourself from the heartache family members are going to cause you, Pe- people you love. When family members choose to not walk with the Lord, you can't isolate yourself. You can't insulate yourself from the, the pain you're going to feel. What surprised me, I asked my kids if I could share this, what surprised me as a parent was as my children got older, the weight I continued to feel as, as a parent for their decisions. And, and many times my kids have said, look, Dad, uh, too intense, you've got to back off, give us some space. And I say, like the perfect parent I am, of course I'll back off, of course I'll give you some space. And, and yet, <laughs> I, I think... I think my children, I, t- I told them this, I said, I, I think it's hard for a child to understand how much weight and pain a parent feels as they think about the hard things their children go through. I don't think they can grasp how much their decisions affect us. I know as a child, I had no comprehension of how much my bad attitudes and stuff affected the spiritual, emotional well-being of my parents. Now, why would God design it that way? Why is it, is it true that as a parent I can't escape the heartache that my child who's walking away, from, I, wanna, I love the Lord, my child doesn't, why am I feeling such pain? They're, they're fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm a child. I love the Lord. My parents are walking in complete disobedience. Why am I the one who's harmed by it? Here are a couple thoughts that, that I hope help you as maybe some of you are struggling with this. One, it's a consequence of creating these close relationships that now exist within the context of a fallen world. So here's the, the family unit that God has designed to be a certain way. Now this family unit is living in a world without a king, and so it's, it's going to be marred. It, but it, it's an inevitable result if there's going to be this close relationship that, that is for God's glory and our good, when, it's, when it exists outside the context of, of being obedient to God, it's an inevitable consequence that, that it's going to, to hurt because these relationships are designed by God to be so close. Secondly, 
another thought that I think might help us in this is, is it helps us understand the character of God more fully. It helps us understand the, the, the pain and the sorrow that, that God feels in a, in, a, in, a, in a deeper way. And perhaps, perhaps for those of us who are walking away from the Lord, maybe that's you this morning. You have you've sinned against your parents. You've sinned against the Lord. You're not walking away in obedience to the Lord. Maybe seeing, maybe seeing the pain that your parents are going through helps you understand the character of God more deeply. And, and maybe even today would be a day to restore a relationship with family members you've hurt. Final principle here. We're going long, but you're in your house. You can get up and go if you need to. Final principle. Parents must continue to trust their children to the Lord at all times. The story, I told you, it, it bookends with parents. It, it begins with his parents, and it ends, it ends tragically. Remember the story of, of Samson dying as he, as he pushes the, 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 the building to its destruction, and, and it ends with, with Samson dying, and, and it ends with verse 31 of chapter 16. This is how the story of Samson ends. It says, Then his brothers and all his family came down, and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. The la- that's the last thing we read about Samson in the book of Judges. Now, if you had asked Samson's parents, hey, tell me about Samson, they would have told you about his impetuous decisions. They would have told you about his rash vows, his, his, his temper, his his, his lust, he would, they would have told you about all these, these bad things. But there are some things in Samson's life that they perhaps didn't know about. They didn't know about the two times that he cried out to the Lord. Once when he was about to die and, and God granted him life, and the second time right before he died. So he cried out for life once and he cried out for death once. And, and God heard him both times. Samson's parents had no idea that he would be included in the book of Hebrews, as the writer of Hebrews talks about men of faith and those who, who looked to the Lord. There are some things about Samson that, that his parents would have never realized. Ultimately, it comes down to this, for those of us who part, are parts of families. We have to entrust one another to the Lord. We can't save each other. All we can do is this. All we can do is, is say, okay, God, what do you want me to do in the context of this family relationship? I'm, I'm a single person, but I'm still members. I have still extended family members. What do you want that to look like for me? I'm a parent, and I have children who aren't walking with the Lord. What, what does it look like for me to parent as, as a covenant parent right now? What do I need to do? I, I failed in this relationship. How do I need to ask for forgiveness and, and, and to, to seek reconciliation? All I can do, God, is what you enable me to do. All I can do, God, is, is to trust myself and my children to you because we desperately desire, even in this land without a king, we desperately desire to point other people to you. We desperately desire for our, our children to, to see the beauty of Jesus as we revere and awe him, to see his beauty, to respond to that beauty and place their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's my prayer for my children. It's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you and your family as well. And I'm going to pray here. We're going to sing a couple songs, and, and then I'm going to give you some, some questions that maybe if, if you're with your family today, you can talk through together. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for 
your son Jesus. We thank you that he uh, was also a redeemer. But we thank you that, that unlike Samson, he was a, a perfect redeemer, a, a redeemer who was obedient to his parents, who fulfilled the purposes you have for him, who redeemed us, his people, from our sins. And Father, our heart's cry this morning is for our families. We, we pray that you and your grace would restore us to the, the relationships you desire us to have. We pray that you would help us by your grace to love one another with, with your love. We, we pray that by your grace we would trust in you, recognizing that in a fallen world you will fulfill your purposes for us. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.